My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in Amsterdam by way of Zimbabwe. He's a designer and artist. Today in our conversation, we talk about his upbringing in Zimbabwe and how that shaped his foundation. We talk about ceramics and DJing and what both have taught him about life. And we talk about meditation and how it helped him remove his mask. This is my conversation with Dan Aiket. How you been, man? I've been good. Yeah. No, I've been uh, enjoying life despite the circumstances. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. What can I say? People, a lot of people have been ha- having a hard time with this, right? Especially the extroverts, especially the people who get energy from engaging with people, right? Mm-hmm. You see, a lot of my friends who have those personality types are really, you know, kind of clawing their eyes out in isolation. Um, just, just within my friends, um, within those personality traits. But I mean, with the introverts, I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself an introvert. I call myself an ambivert. But I do really like spending time, you know, alone in my own space. Um, but yeah, with the introverts, I, you know, creatives who are introverts, just, you know, you're getting a lockdown in your room uh, and you're just forced to make things, you know. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting time this year. I think a lot of reflection. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I I think it's been okay for me. It's been manageable. It's been there are a couple of frustrations here and there, but yeah. Right. So um, this whole like thing about extroverts and introverts, I've I've noticed. I haven't noticed the 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 extroverts have been deniers, but I've definitely noticed that people that are extroverts i think they're suffering emotionally the most (laughs) right i mean aside from people who are actually sick um, yeah yeah i think like for the first three or four months or so i was fine because i think i describe myself the same as you probably more on the introverted side but i have my extroverted side but like i i was fine i was like cool i get my alone time and i get to do my own thing and read and whatever Hmm. And then about three or four months in, I was like, damn, I feel it. Like, I, I can't even, I was thinking, I can't, I can't imagine what my extrovert friends are feeling right now right. because they have no, they probably have no energy. You know what I mean? They're just like dying for it. And you're totally. right. The people that I see on Instagram that are like out and about, they're all the extroverts. <laughs> totally. Totally. They're craving that, that, that contact, that social contact. Yeah interesting so yeah i um that's maybe part of the reason is the whole introverted side of things but um i'm i'm super lucky with you know where i am who i live with um my situation here in amsterdam like i really really feel blessed and lucky to to be the person that i am and to do the things that i do and to get along doing it so um I, I live in, a, in an amazing house here in Amsterdam. It's, it's shocking how we uh, landed this house. Yeah, um, it, yeah it, it's very difficult to find an apartment in Amsterdam. It's super duper competitive and relatively expensive. Nowhere near yeah. SF prices, but 
you know, comparatively for Europe, it's pretty, it's pretty tough and everybody wants to live in Amsterdam. Right. So how we, so we went through the process of looking for a new house. And when I say we, um, my sister also moved to Amsterdam. So, um, we decided to, to, to live together and it was coincidentally where my girlfriend and I were also looking for a place to stay. And, uh, my sister and her boyfriend were looking for a place to stay. So we decided, okay, why don't we, you know, put our budgets together and try to look for something nicer and essentially just, you know, live there with the five, with the four of us, sorry. Um, and yeah, my sister and her boyfriend share one room and my girlfriend and I will share one room. And we somehow landed the most incredible apartment in Amsterdam. So we were a very close bunch. Um, you know, some really intense relationships there. I'm also really, really good friends with my sister's boyfriend. Um, mm. I'm super duper close since we moved into uh, in together. Um, so you can imagine the dynamic between the four of us is like quite, quite hefty, but we have a very, very strong bond. Um, and people notice that when we're out and about. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, why I do you think that, why do you think that is like, um, I, I guess I'm guessing it stems from like your separate relationships with your sister and your girlfriend, but like, why do you think that is that that you guys um, have such a strong bond? Well, my sister and I have always been so close. Um, you know, it was just us growing up. We we had each other. We uh, spent most of our time together. Um, and then when we went apart, I went to to San Francisco to study and. Um, she went off uh, through, to travel throughout Europe and to work throughout Europe. And then we right. sort of met up again. And, you know, we, we just became closer than ever. We kind of left this small town, you know, uh, deep, dark uh, Zimbabwe mm. and a uh, very, very small community that we were living in there. And we went out into the big wide world. We went out, you know, we went into first world countries and we sort of met up again after those years. And we were like, whoa. Okay, right, right. It's tough. The world is amazing. Okay, <laughs> we're we're here. You know, we we've grown up and we're living. We're doing it essentially, and we found some mutual compassion there, and we mm. came super duper close. And then I got an internship here in Amsterdam, and then I went from San Francisco to Amsterdam. I fell in love with this place. It's incredible, um, and I said. To my sister, okay, you got to come here. She also fell in love with Amsterdam. We met our respective partners. We got together, and there's just there's just such a click. You know, we all have our own individuality in the group, um, but and yet we we work so well together. You know, yeah. um, and we live in a very very creative house. So I, I'm I'm essentially so I'm a trained industrial designer. But, um, you know, ever since I left school and started my own uh, freelancing company here in Amsterdam, really diversified my portfolio. Um, mm. and now I do all sorts of things like branding, art direction, web design, graphic design, along with all the product design stuff as well. Right. Um, so that's been, that's been super interesting for me. Um, my sister uh, is studying at Willem de Koning and she's studying, studying spatial design. She's in her mm. third year now. Um, and she's doing very, very well. Uh, my girlfriend is an architect. Um, she's been working for almost two years now. They, they specialize in transforming old heritage sites into different modern buildings, just like really trying to preserve the essence of those old buildings. 
Um, and Nick, my sister's boyfriend, is um, also studying. He used to be a music producer. He makes some, some really, really impressive music. Um, but now he's studying to become a data scientist. Really, really mm. smart guy. So you know, we all have a lot of creative energy and we can all, all kind of riff off each other and sort of like amp each other up. Um, and it's great. That's so important, man. Yeah, totally, totally. So I, I, I've been blessed, you know, during this COVID time to have these people around, to be in this place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we made it We made it super cozy. We invested in two new hobbies, right? So um, one is pottery mm-hmm. um, and the other one is DJing. So I've always wanted to oh, learn nice. how to DJ. Yeah, I've always yeah. wanted to learn how to DJ. I mean, Amsterdam has an amazing nightlife scene when the most incredible uh, electronic music DJs come to Amsterdam. Mm. Some really, really impressive stuff. I've always wanted to learn, but I've never really wanted to invest in all the gear and so on and so forth to really like get into it. Before my birthday <clears throat> this year, um, uh, my roommates bought me a little mini controller and we found an, a, a service on, on the app store whereby you can, you can plug all your Spotify playlists in and then it analyzes all the tracks and then you can mix with them. And then I have a little... Oh, wow. Control. Yeah, it's really, really cool. That's cool. Yeah, really, yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah, but unfortunately, they Spotify just banned all third-party apps from using their service. So we had mm. to port everything to SoundCloud and now we mix off of SoundCloud. But uh, that's one hobby that we picked up during this time, and it's been amazing, man. Just to just to blow some steam on the weekend, to kind of separate the week from the weekend. Um, just have like uh, have a little small party with four of us, and we play back to back to back to back to back. We're yeah. all playing our own music. We all love the own, uh, our own each other's music, let's say. And uh, you know, we play for like eight hours, so early morning. That's it's crazy. A great, great way to blow some steam. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? Um... I'm like I I don't know what it what it is to DJ or like to mix music, right? So, right. So 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 that is the the main aspect of it. It's it's getting a, a sense of the energy in the room and then making the right track selections to really fit that energy, right? Yeah. That is the essence of DJing, which you which you you kind of cannot really teach. You know, just mm. kind of got to feel it. Right. But then there's like the whole technical side. Um, where you're literally bridging two songs into each other, right? And you can do so in such a way, sometimes when the, when the tracks are in the right key, sometimes they fit together so perfectly that it feels like you're kind of on the spot making new music. You're like, I want to bring in the sounds of this song to accompany the bass of this song as we transition into the new song. Right. And it's all incredibly thrilling because all of this stuff is happening in real time in the spot and um, yeah, it just feels like you're you're producing music, and it and it sounds amazing. And um, what's what I what I really love about it is it requires your utmost attention, right? Mm-hmm. You need to really really cover that activity with your attention and your awareness. You need to be hyper focused on you know what your what buttons you're pressing what knobs you're turning but also like you're really really tentative with what you're listening to right right so there's that so that that, that dynamic or happening you have to like think and get creative on the spot on how to transition add effects to like kind of make it sound like they're one song yeah right, that, right. that's super thrilling for me man what is the moment what is the moment for you that's like 
oh, like that, it, you know, like the, the most satisfying moment where you're just like, I, I did that just now. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it's when it's when the whole transition goes really well. You know, when, mm-hmm. when two songs work together so perfectly that you can introduce and take away different parts of each song and kind of mix things and you're like, holy shit, this is sounding fucking cool. And then yeah. you bring it out and then slowly the next song that is coming in is about to like really drop in. And uh, so how you fade the last song out in a way that sort of sounds natural and sort of fluid. And then as that fades out, you know, really whacking in the, the energy in the base of the, the next song so that there's like a seamless, continuous flow of the music, you right. know, continuous flow of the energy. And let me tell you, man, talk about dopamine rushes. It's just like constant dopamine rushes. Yeah, yeah. It's highly, highly addictive. That's why we go on for like eight hours. That's beautiful, man. So, so you're like you're doing it with just the four of you guys, or, or yeah, like just what? the four of us. We all learn together. That, we all taught each other. That's super intimate. Definitely, definitely, man. We're really. I, told, I mentioned earlier. We're a really, really close group. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, we we have a little smoke machine. Uh, we have put on some lights, and we have some decent speakers here. We and. Uh, you know, neighbors are relatively respectful, so yeah, it's a good time, and it's been a, it's been super liberating during this during this period. Yeah. So you you mentioned it being like the thing that you love most about it is that you have to focus. You have to like, it it basically consumes your whole, um, your whole energy, your whole your 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 whole attention span, your whole being, everything. your whole being. You are yeah. so connected and so with. Uh, you're trying to be so connected and with. Uh, and you know kind of one with the music yeah. um and you kind of like after after a couple of songs have gone by you know i don't know 30 minutes have passed you kind of wake up and you're, you're like oh yeah shit i'm actually still in my room right right so you said that you do you said that you do pottery yeah, so, too. so 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 here, here's the other thing pottery is the other thing whereby you also need an immense amount of concentration and an immense amount of awareness of what you are doing, uh, how your posture is, mm-hmm. um, and just you, you, you really have a, a, such an awareness of your body, let's say, because all of the, all, all of the steps are interconnected. Um, and that, that, that was also interesting because my sister, because we actually got the pottery wheel for my sister's birthday, which is five days after mine. Mm. And, um, and initially, it was like a gift for her, but you know, we all completely fell in love with the craft. And similarly to the to the, the, the there's a lot of similarities in in that kind of flow state that you experience uh, in DJing, and and it's the same thing with the pottery. So it's almost like this thing that um, I'm guessing. So tell me if I'm wrong, but like with with DJing, there's a moment, or there's like when you're trying to transition from one song to the next, where it's like a little bit of pressure, right? It's like, oh, dude. I got to do this. I got to do this right. But so then with pottery, it's a similar thing. It's like this thing is on a wheel that's spinning and you got to, if you make the move, this one little move, it kind of twists out of shape. Yeah, yeah, totally, 100%. Randomly, both have spinning wheels. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was another similarity that I was like, oh, whoa, I'm like, I'm, I'm in my dreams, I'm seeing like circles and spirals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm seeing yeah. them everywhere. I'm seeing patterns everywhere. And like, I look at the water going down the sink. <laughs> it's like spiraling. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm a, 
been in isolation a bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, it, like with the pottery, do you have you noticed? So my girlfriend, you know, Angela, we, I'm just saying my girlfriend because totally, you know, totally, podcast, yeah. But yeah. she she does she does ceramics too, and she described to me like when when her emotions are out of whack. Like, for example, if she's frustrated or if she's like... It's impossible to throw. Yeah, that's what she was saying. It, it's like very sensitive to emotion. Like if, totally. you're, if you're just like off a little bit, it changes the way you throw. Have you noticed that for yourself? 100%. So, yeah. so um, she's, she's like spot on. Uh, it, it, you really need to be calm. You need to be steady. You need to be focused and you can't be distracted. Otherwise, the process is just going to suck and it's going to make you even more frustrated and it's going to make you're going to make even more of a mess. It's going to lead to chaos and it's just not going to be fun. So, <clears throat> so that as just a philosophy to like live your life, whereby you're sitting behind the wheel, you know, there, there are these steps that you need to take in order to complete a form. And each step, uh, during this process is really, really linked to the next one. So depending on how well you do the, mm. the, the previous step will dictate how easy the next step will be and so on and so forth until mm. you have a complete form. Um, so when you feel yourself at one of the levels, one of the steps, getting frustrated because it's not really doing what you are doing, um, I've noticed that I can... I, I all of a sudden become aware of those frustrations building up, right? Yeah. And, and I realize, okay, that is a pattern of energy building up in my body and that I have the choice and the power to separate myself from that, right? Uh -huh. And in that, you know, you can continue to, to do the steps well by like seeing the frustrations, being aware that it is a pattern of energy, and then separating yeah. yourself, putting it onto the side, essentially tabling your frustrations so that you can do what you're trying to do. You know? right. And that within, within just like handling any situation in your life, yeah. you know, as just, as just like a, a mindfulness and meditation, um, it's just a pure form of mindfulness or meditation, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds, um, I remember when I first started smoking weed, Actually, when I first started eating weed, um, that was one of the things that I noticed was uh, in the beginning when I first ate weed, it was like I was I would spin out of control, right? Yeah. So I'd have to lay down and like I was I would be nauseous and freaking out, like paranoid, what's gonna happen to me and all this stuff. Yeah. And then I remember having that a similar thought. It was like, wait, you're on this drug, so you can decide to not freak out. Exactly. And then I did that and I calmed down immediately. And I was like, oh, I could do that for the rest of my, like with the rest of my life as well. With everything. Like, like, with any yeah, with everything. experience that you have. Yeah. yeah, such a such a beautiful like metaphor, you know, for, for everything. That's awesome, man. Totally, totally. So yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely had some interesting, you know, spiritual insights from these practices, you know, similarly with DJing, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the pottery is going amazing. Um, I'm right in the middle of like figuring out our brand identity, you know, who we are, 
because the four of us are gonna make pots. I'm gonna invest in a kiln. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. We're gonna get a big one. Um, so I'm figuring out a, a brand identity so that you know we can have some sort of online presence, and you know, if anybody wants to buy them, you know, it'll be great. I'm not looking to like really drop everything to do this, but yeah. um, it 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 gives me a lot of fulfillment. Um, you know, you really put a little bit of your soul into a pot. You know, every time right. you sit on the wheel, you kind of leave part of yourself in that. Um, but uh, you know, I'm a, I'm completely addicted to it. It's really uh, so. If you've I been prolific, stop, like you've been, I've seen you make a bunch of stuff, and and you showed me the video yesterday. It was like you have, you have like vases all over. Yeah, they're all <laughs> waiting to be fired. So those are all air dried. I haven't I haven't fired them at all. You know, if you put some water on them, they'll pretty much disintegrate. So they're in a pretty fragile stage. So I'm I'm curious to get a kiln and and to explore like this whole other dimension of pottery, which is glazing and coloring and firing and what temperatures can you fire and what all sorts of different effects can you add by you know wrapping certain oxides around it it's it's like chemistry it's like a whole other realm which i have no clue about but i'm excited to learn yeah yeah oh man so i um i think one thing that i've noticed uh and we haven't talked since probably five years ago I've, I've checked in with you a couple times but other than that we haven't really had a conversation uh one thing that's obvious to me and people can't see this because they're not gonna have video but you've changed your appearance quite a bit Mentally, right yeah Mad like like um five years ago you know you had short hair uh no beard yeah <laughs> yeah clean shaven your short, your fashion's like changed boy, uh, hairstyle. yeah 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 well, I mean, it's almost like you've stepped into some like a like a new person almost. Totally, uh, totally. It and it feels what, like it. Yeah. What, what like what 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 inspired that? What inspired you to you know change um, your appearance, grow your hair out? Has it has it has something changed inside? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, five years passes like a lot changes in us. I think absolutely in five yeah, years. That's true. Um, especially, you know, in that critical point of, of, of a human growth, you know, in, in, in your like early twenties going into your late twenties, yeah. um, you really kind of settle into yourself, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't pinpoint it exactly, but I guess, you know, moving away from the States and moving mm -hmm. to Amsterdam had a, had a huge role in the transformation and, and growth of, of, of myself and how I've come to be. Um, yeah, Amsterdam, Amsterdam I, I really felt connected with this city as soon as I arrived. You know, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to, to meet an amazing group of people um, at my first, first music festival that I went to. And mm -hmm. they, they, they were the first people that I spoke to at the first music festival that I went to in Amsterdam. And it was the first time I realized, like, holy shit, I'm in Amsterdam, I'm going to be living, you know, at least at least the next eight months in Amsterdam. Right. Um, and these guys, they they took me in and showed me everything, you know, from from a real from a Dutchie's perspective. Yeah. And um, you know, I was I was amazed at how how welcomed I felt, you know. Mm. Um, and I mean, should, have you ever been to Amsterdam? 
No, I haven't. I haven't been to Europe at all. I, I want to oh, go. Oh, whoa, whoa, nice, dude. Okay, when coronavirus is is over, you and Ashley, you really. Oh yeah, we don't. we have to. We have to. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so Amsterdam's amazing. It's like. Yeah, uh, it's this. It, it's a city which has pres- been preserved for, you know, centuries. Yeah. You know, with all the canals and all the old buildings built in, you know, fifteen, fourteen, uh, fifteen, sixteen hundred, and they're all beautifully preserved. Luckily, it wasn't really bombed during World War Two, mm-hmm. and you have this amazing city structure, you know, with these canals, sort of concentric canals. Uh, overlapping each other from the central point of the of the city, which is which is Amsterdam Central, and you know you walk down these streets and it's it's like it's like a fairy tale land, man. It's it's really like you're walking through a scene of a movie, mm. um, and it's super vibrant. You know everybody's biking. There's something like six bicycles for every person here in Amsterdam. The biking infrastructure is amazing. So you right. get everywhere by bike. You don't need to drive a car. It, you know, you actually get takes you longer to get there by car. Um, and uh, you know, bikers have right of way. Bikers are king in Amsterdam. And mm. you know, when the weather is amazing during the summer, it's 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 honestly it's magical. And you're cycling through after a couple of beers uh, at a bar, and with the wind in your hair, it's 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 really like a storybook, like fairy tale. So you guys yeah. got to come. You guys got to come in the summer. Dude, I, it's on my list for sure. I, I got to come. Um, what What is it? You know, I'm curious, like, what, what how did it, um, what I'm trying to say, like, how does it compare to San Francisco? You, you describe, you describe Amsterdam as being like, you go there, you go to this music festival, you meet people and they just, yeah. and then you have this group of people that welcomes you in. Totally. Um, is that in contrast to San Francisco? Not like not, in your experience, not, at least. Not necessarily that. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I met a lot of really, really cool people in San Francisco, and I had an amazing time. Um, I guess it's more that, more so that it's 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 much smaller. Okay, so Amsterdam is is a, is a little bubble in even in the Netherlands, right? But it's a bubble filled with really, really cool people. Like really cool pe- people with a really cool sense of style, a really cool uh, outlook on life, um, and you really get the sense that you can be whoever it is you want to be, you know. And there, it is kind of like that in San Francisco to an extent, but for me personally, um, I felt like all of a sudden I could express myself. And not only that, but I would be, I'd be welcomed even more by expressing myself expressing who, mm-hmm. I, who I really am, whoever that may be during that point of time. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, like, the nightlife, well, the life in Amsterdam, or at least my life, my circles generally revolves around, you know, music and meeting uh, with friends at bars. There are, there are thousands of cafes and restaurants that are open till late. Um but, but just the music scene just really brought me and my my social circles together. And I think that's really interesting how fundamental music is in in forming close relationships with people. You know, you have a similar taste yeah. in music. You really, you, you feel the same things that they feel when they hear a song. Then you're bound or at least, you know, it's, it's more likely that you're going to become more connected or close. Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that's super interesting. It's like intrinsically, 
coded into our bodies. This, yeah, this... absolutely. Uh, and you think I used to think of it as like a almost like a childish thing because you know it's like, oh, you like you like uh, hip hop. I like hip hop. Let's let's talk and be friends. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's so simple. So simple. But, but you're right. It's like this. You're. It's not just the the you like a certain genre. It's like you feel the certain genre. You relate to it, and so therefore, there's something about your life or experience that you 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 see the same similar things. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and it all comes back to music. <laughs> always, <laughs> right? always, man. It's fundamental, and I think it's bizarre, like that humans connect so deeply with this medium whereas you know you know music is like really moving you emotionally and you know i have my dog here that it just makes no sense to to him whatsoever completely unfazed by the fact right music being played <laughs> and that's that's like that's crazy to me you know so where where does that originate from like it's like coded in us beautiful mm. Yeah, yeah. So when you were in SF, who were you then? And who are you now? And how are you different if, okay. if you've changed? Right. Okay. Now I've changed a lot, I think. The priorities have all completely shifted, right? Yeah. So in, so in San Francisco, you know, I was this kid, grew up in Zimbabwe, small town, like city boy. Um, my grand, my grandparents and my parents lost the farm. Um, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with what happened in Zimbabwe in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. but uh, we, we won't go too deeply into that. Um, so we moved to the city, very, very small community of people. And um, it was time for, for my age group to kind of like leave the nest, go into university and do great things. You know, our whole life we're like pushed to do great things. Right. Go, 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 go. You need to make something of yourself. Yeah. Um, then I got to San Francisco um, buzzing. I mean, like we went from third world Africa to first world America, you know, San Francisco tech tech hub of the world, let's say. Right. Um, so that was a huge culture shock for me. But um, I poured myself into, into my craft, into school. You know, I loved it. You know, I finally found something that was, that really made sense for me um and my my mentality was like i just gotta i gotta dominate you know i gotta i'm coming from zimbabwe i'm this international person in in massive big wide america um i gotta get a job you know i'm here on a student visa you know what's the plan for my future there's no future in zimbabwe for a creative or a design design career because the economy is completely shot right um and uh, there's massive opportunities in the state. So my, my plan was to just work really, really hard, you know, get a great portfolio, do really well in school. And then hopefully that would become my ticket, you know, out of Zimbabwe. Um, so you can imagine, you know, th that, that really affects who you are as a person. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, like I chilled out and had fun and partied and did all, all sorts of fun things. Um, but the, the goal was to, to excel and then get hired and then work in the States. Um, then I moved to, to Amsterdam. So I got kicked out of school, right? I, I don't know if you're familiar with, with what happened uh, because I, I, my, my, 
my family couldn't pay for my school fees anymore. I had one more year to go. Um, and I basically pleaded to CCA, to, to the university that we went to. I pleaded to them. I said, listen, guys, I just done my junior review. I have one more year left. I've invested so much money into my tuition and into the previous you know, three years. Uh, is there some sort of financial aid that I can get? And, they, and I kind of feel like they turned around and just gave me the middle finger. And they were just like, yo, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, but you know, uh, if you don't have the money, you're going to got to leave. So, uh, so I felt like kind of rejected, kind of like I've been like busting my ass to, to finish with a really high GPA. Um, and I could serve the school really, really well in the future. And I'm looking to build a future here in San Francisco. And you guys kind of just said, no, that's private university for you. Um, so yeah, I kind of got kicked out of the States because they turned around and said, you can't pay for your school fees. Okay, your visa expires in 10 days. So, I'm oh like, my God. Hey, yeah, it's crazy. 10 days. As soon as you sign this form, you know, your, your visa expires in 10 days. Uh, so, I had to drop everything and I had, to, I had to say goodbye to my girlfriend. I had to say goodbye to my friends. I had to move out of my apartment, kind of figure out what to do with all my stuff. Uh, and then scrape together some money to buy a ticket to Zimbabwe to get myself home, which was like, you know, 2000 US. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough situation for me. Um, but nevertheless, I got home and uh, I was like, okay, just finished junior review. It's time to do internships. Let me, let me apply around the world. And um, so, yeah, I did. I applied all over and I applied in, in Japan. I applied in Korea. I applied um, in, in the UK, uh, back in the States. You know, I was trying to desperately trying to get back to San Francisco for any reason. Yeah. Um, but I landed, I landed an internship here in Amsterdam. And um, you know, I got here, and just the mentality so different. So in San Francisco, you know, you're in this tech bubble. You go out, and people are like, "Okay, what startup do you work for?" You know, um, it's like what you do is who you are. You know. Yes, absolutely. I, I found, uh, you know, I moved to Portland too, and it's not that far away, and honestly, relatively similar. But uh, the conversation I noticed is different in San Francisco. The first thing that people ask you is, oh, where do you work? Or what do you do? Exactly. Exactly. And in Portland, I found it was just like, kind of like, just curious, like, who are you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know? the, the far more important thing. So, I, so I, I realized that when I came to Amsterdam, was, your work is not who you are. What people here are more interested in is like, you know, what is your story? I mean, you're from Zimbabwe, you know, you were starting in San Francisco. That's, I've never heard of that before. So generally people took an interest into, you know, what my backstory was. I think that also kind of paved the way for my integration into like an Amsterdam society. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I felt such, such a contrast there and it didn't matter how much money you made. And it, there was no fucking pressure to, to really be something you know, mm -hmm. from a from a from a big firm or whatever, or a renowned firm. Did so, you ever? I know. I know you said that you felt the pressure. Obviously, there's like a almost like a desperation, right? When you're when you're uh, studying in a foreign country, and it depends. You, you depend on that to stay in that country, and so there's like this urgency to work really hard. Yeah. Um, 
that pressure isn't healthy. I wonder if, did you have any kind of pressure on yourself before that? Like, were you just that kind of person before you hit San Francisco? Oh yeah. No, I think, I think, I think I was just that type of person. Um, like if I wanted, if you wanted to succeed in life, that's what you had to do. You had to pour yourself into your craft, work really hard, get really good at it and, and excel and make a bunch of money so you can go on holiday and you can do, you can build a family and drive a nice car and so on and so forth. Yeah. When I got to Amsterdam, you know, all of that changed. All my priorities kind of shifted. It was like, oh, whoa. Okay, so my life's not going down that route that I expected to. I basically got right. shut out of America. I don't have a degree. I'm in Amsterdam. Uh, I just finished my internship. You know, now what? Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I went on to do another internship in Munich, in Germany. But I really didn't like it, man. I really didn't like working for a consultancy. A very yeah. rigid and very German way of designing things. And we worked mainly on medical products, which is cool. You can, you can have some very fascinating design insights uh, working on projects like that. But I mean, yeah, I, just, I really saw that it wasn't for me, you know, being a cog in the design machine. Right. Um, but I knew I had to be back in Amsterdam. Like, can you imagine going from liberal Amsterdam to conservative southern Germany, Bavaria? quite contrasting right. i had fun don't, don't worry i mean like i make the most of wherever i am but i really had to come back to amsterdam my sister was already here by that point and i was like okay i'm just need to set up my own company and i just took anything any jobs so some guy was like do you, do you design logos i was like never designed a logo before but yes i designed logos <laughs> come on give me 200 bucks all right that's good 200 bucks man i was going to do yeah. Day, day, day. It, was, it was tough yeah it was tough getting set up here with no network whatsoever yeah um but i knew that i had to be here and i was just enjoying man this is so many cool people such such a great atmosphere such a great vibe um that i just was like okay well my life's not going down that route you know what are the other options you know and it was kind of like okay uh, life kind of dealt you these cards now let's play them. So it's like, well, I'm going to play them and I'm going to have fun fucking playing them, you know? Yeah. Um, and just that that shift in mental attitude. It's like, okay, I don't need to like be working my butt off to like be climbing the fucking corporate design ladder. I can just chill out, make my money doing these things, work for myself, work on my own schedule, work on my own projects and be the creative lead of this project instead of mm -hmm. reporting to some guy with his own subjective tastes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His own subjective ways of doing things. Um, more often than not, you know, in these big corporations is, is, is an outdated way of thinking about design, you know, especially mm -hmm. in Germany. So, um, yeah, so I set up my own company here and I just really love to be my own boss, to be the creative lead, to take a company and, you know, kind of funnel it in the direction of my choosing. Right. Um, and to have that sole responsibility for that is just super, super empowering for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, what do you think is the reason that you started relieving that pressure off of yourself? Um, I don't think it was any particular reason per se. It was just, um, I kind of had to like make my daily wage, you know, I was going paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was tough. It was really, really tough, but 
no no particular it was a gradual shift i think i i noticed that my relationships with people were far more important um with these new people that i had met in Amsterdam, it was the first time where i really felt like whoa i i feel a lot of love for these people um and you know i i was just making cool shit on my own you know just just working on my own projects doing a lot of sketching a lot of drawing a lot of ideas bubbling up a lot of creative energy and i was just i was just working on it in my own time and that was driving me and that was fueling me and that coupled with you know the quality of life that people have here in amsterdam right i have in amsterdam you know just kind of had this gradual shift of mentality yeah like maybe just being away from that that space yeah. of everyone yeah, exactly. thinking that way yeah it's funny i I feel like we're kindred spirits in a way. Like I've, I was my whole life basically until a few years ago, I was like the, you know, do whatever I can, product productivity and maximum efficiency and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, and in the last couple of years, I, my mentality changed, you know, I started slowing down a little bit more. Um, Start questioning what what the hell is the point of just trying to like be productive all the time and trying to be on point all the time? You know, like we have this one chance to live life, and I'm yeah, just exactly. here trying to like get as much as possible. Um, yeah, there, I I don't know. Maybe maybe it was caused by like it was caused by some just failing over and over again. You know, until I'm like what am I doing? Like, it's like right. a, it's like Groundhog's Day or something over right. and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let, let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, uh, well, where, where, where should I start? Uh, maybe, maybe just describe the context. I've never been uh, to, to Africa, let alone Zimbabwe. Um, so, you know, what was the, what was your like? What was your house like? What was your neighborhood like? Uh, what was the feeling in that area? You know what I mean, like. Right, right, yeah. So it's it. Yeah, that's that's interesting that we 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 come from such different backgrounds. Yeah. And yet we 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 grew up on different sides of the of the globe, and then we met up and you you meet up with people on other sides of the globe and and you have this connection you know even though you you're brought up with like completely different different uh, way of yeah different upbringing let's say yeah um sure. i think that i think that's really cool but to answer your question yeah it was, it was definitely uh, an amazing upbringing i got so lucky with my parents mm. um uh yeah we're a really close family i only have my younger sister um uh, my parents were super, super duper loving, um, but unfortunately they, they uh, I don't want to say unfortunately, because I think it was right. My parents split up when I was about 12. Uh, definitely uh, it was tough at first, um, but very quickly we realized how much closer as a family we became after that. Mm. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, I think my parents what, did it really well. Why do you think well. that is? I don't know. I, I think, you know, my parents loved each other, but they weren't right for each other, let's say. Yeah. Um, and you could just see that they were just growing apart. 
Um, I guess it was tough, but by the end of it, I think I think it was a good move. Yeah. Um, and my sister and I definitely recognize that now. Um, so yeah, we we I was mostly lucky with family that I got. We lucky to to grow up in Zimbabwe. Yes, it was tough. So Zimbabwe has quite a quite a turbulent uh, history of the past, you know, fifty years, let's say, even more. Um, so we're a British colony. Zimbabwe was a British colony, let's say. And um, yeah, it was like apartheid, man. It was really, really bad. Um, and then in the 70s, there was war. Um, and um, Zimbabwe got its independence in 1980, which is really recent. Eh? I mean, that's only, yeah. 30, that's only 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of things changed, but, uh, so the, the government became majority black, um, and Zimbabwe was, you know, the breadbasket of Africa. You know, a lot of countries were trading since it's gained its new independence. Um, it's super wealthy in minerals and agriculture. Um, we were exporting so many goods. Um, the economy was booming, like in the in the nineties, like the the late eighties, early nineties. So life was great, man. My grandparents were farmers. Um, they had bought they, they they bought awesome land, and brought it up into incredible farms. Like, and if you were a farmer, you had an amazing life. Uh, massive land, the airplane licenses. You know, the soil was so rich. You know, mm. it was just so easy to make money. Um, so my grandparents were farmers. My uncle was a farmer. My mother was the daughter of a farmer. And um, we had we had in total three different farms in the family. And uh, unfortunately, so what happened was Mugabe put Mugabe was the dictator. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Name of no, Robert Mugabe. Robert Mugabe was the, the the president of Zimbabwe for I don't know how long, like 33, 35 years. Yeah, and um, he refused to step down from power. He rigged every election. Well, let's backtrack. Okay, so in the early in the late nineties, early two thousands, Mugabe wanted to put together a regime whereby he would have life empowerment. He said, "Yo, mm. I am your ruler." Like. Things are good. You need to vote me in life and power. And uh, the people were not happy with this. You know, life and power is never a good thing. So, yeah. so uh, they voted no. Um, but Mugabe, the, the president at the time, caught wind of the fact that a lot of the white farmers were telling all of their workers, who are predominantly black and they have thousands of workers, um, you know, listen, uh, you should not vote for this. It's not good. Yeah. Um, so Mugabe took like massive offense to that. And uh, essentially said, okay, during the colonial days, you guys took all this land from us. We're going to do the same to you. So one by one, hordes of people came onto the land of these white farmers and essentially beaten, beat and murdered them off of their farms to every single one. Um, it was a really, really tough time. So a lot of people would, um, a lot of people passed away during that time. You know, people said, no, this is my livelihood. This is where my family is. Um, 
you know, I built this, I, you know, I didn't inherit it. And they refused, and those people died, unfortunately. It was a really, really brutal time. And, um, yeah, so the same thing happened with us. Uh, but we said, you have 48 hours to leave. Um, take what you can and uh, leave. So we did so, and, you know, all these farms that were being given to corrupt ministers, corrupt generals, I mean, it goes way deep. Um, yeah. The land was given back to the people, but really, you know, the people were in his pocket. Right. Um, and, uh, but these people knew nothing about farming or agriculture. So you took one of our strongest uh, forms of uh, export agriculture was the biggest form of export in the country and was doing so much for the economy completely eradicated in like under two years so they're like okay we have all this land we're going to try grow things but they don't understand the soil they don't understand the cycles and they're essentially spoiling the soil and mm -hmm. not getting any yield so you watch economy zimbabwe's economy sky fall down to the ground spiral into the ground and uh, you know, by 2008, you know, our hyper, we had such severe hyperinflation, you know, you would go in the shops and, you know, the prices would change every hour. Mm, very um, unstable. Yeah, completely unstable. We had, we had hyperinflation of 50 billion percent. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's really, really, really ridiculous. For 50 million percent, sorry. I mean, they were, try, they were printing cash with, you know, 15 zeros on it. You know, I think mm. the highest was $50 trillion, which has, I don't know, 14 or 13 zeros on it. Yeah. They couldn't print enough of this. You know, you would walk into supermarkets with these stacks of cash, which were worth nothing. You couldn't even buy bread with. Wow. So, this, so all the, the stores emptied. And this, this happened when I was um, like 13, 14, 15, where we were still on that, that current the Zimbabwean dollar. And uh, things were tough, man. You couldn't buy anything in the stores. Businesses closed down. At a currency that was essentially toilet paper. And... Um, yeah, we set the record for the highest inflation rate ever in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, with that came, you know, 95% unemployment rate. Um, so, yeah, you have 95% of the country not working, you know, just working on the land, having small, you know, domesticated animals and a little patch of ground to grow some food on you know that's how most of the country is living i think that's mm. completely insane man this yeah. guy refused to step down and uh he yeah so most of the white people the white po po the, the, the the population of white people in zimbabwe dropped from about three hundred and fifty thousand to um i don't know what it is today i i last i heard it was like 16 or seventeen thousand people wow um i'm not i'm not sure but uh it's it's really low that's like small university yeah yeah the entire country i mean there's 13 million people in the country so so you see what I mean when I when I uh, said I come from a very small community because there, there wasn't very much integration. Mm -hmm. So at my schools, um, I went to a boarding school since I was five years old. I went to a Catholic boarding school. 
really, really cool score. It was called Rosawi Junior School. It was out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the bush. Um, beautiful, beautiful building. And uh, my parents gave me the choice. They said, do you want to go to like a day school school where you come home every day? Or do you want to go to this school where you essentially camp there and come home every right. two or three weeks? So I was like, I don't in my right mind. I, I, I have no idea why I said this. But I said, hey, I want to go to the school where I sleep there. Because it sounded kind of <laughs> like an adventure. But I was also this like really, really shy, insecure kid. Uh, um, yeah. So, I was, so yeah. Um, growing up, I was really, really shy. I was like very, very much, very much uncertain and unsure of myself. Um, and, uh, and I barely spoke. Um, hmm. And I decided to go to boarding school, like uh, a couple hundred kilometers away from home. Yeah. Um, so I, I still don't understand why my parents gave me the choice. <laughs> Ivy years old, they're like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Come home every day or come home every three weeks. <laughs> so yeah. Um I went to this boarding school, every have to dress in a tie and uniform every day, black shoes, jacket, hat, like one of those typical colonial schools. It was great yeah. school. Um uh but that was generally mixed, right? So after independence, you know, the, there was no segregation anymore. You know, it was kind of like 50-50, fifty percent right. white, fifty percent black. Um, uh, so there, so I, my generation never really experienced racism. Well, I mean, yeah, we experienced racism, but got me wrong, but we, we, the racism was not as bad as it was in my parents' generation and the generation before. And my parents weren't racist, not at all. Right. But their generation definitely is in the generation before then. It's just on my grandparents. It's just, it's ridiculous. Right. Um, but, when you say uh, racism, do you mean that, like, you didn't experience, like, people discriminating against you? No, or I mean, what? I mean, like, white people discriminating against black people and black people discriminating against white people. Just racism oh. in Zimbabwe has been uh, a hot topic since you know the beginning of life, right. civilized life there. Right. Um, but it's slowly building, going away, and I mean. The white population is also diminishing there. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hate for the whites and there's a lot of hate for the blacks. But recently, in 2019, there was a military coup, mm -hmm. uh, whereby and this happened two years ago, whereby the the there was a coup and the military overthrew the president and government. It was a, it was a historic time in Zimbabwe, yeah. um, and. Uh, and yeah, there you, you really could see people united for the first time, you know, white people and black people and mixed race uh, people all uniting together with one purpose for the betterment of their country, because they realize that together we are stronger, right. you know, together we can, we can create a better place for our people. Um, and that was really special to see because I, my, my upbringing was kind of like the the gradual shift from, you know, that racist culture to, you know, more integrated culture. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, my so we lost the farm, uh, and my parents got jobs in the city. My grandparents lost the farm. My parents were already working in the city, but 
Uh, a lot of my family had to leave and go to New Zealand. Uh, my, my mother's brother lives in New Zealand. He had to go back to school and learn how to do, I think he became uh, an insurance broker. He used to be, he used to own this massive farm. It's an incredible, beautiful farm where he built dams and lakes on it. It was really incredible. Um, but that was just taken away from him. So he essentially had to go back to school and learn how to live in, like, in a first world country, in New yeah. Zealand. So a lot of Zimbabweans had to do them. They left to South Africa, to the UK, um, to Australia. And um, but my parents stayed. They said, okay, our kids are in great schools. You know, Zimbabwean schools had, Zimbabwe had one of the highest literacy rates in Africa. Mm. And uh, we, my sister and I were in great, great schools. Um, so we continued. And like, honestly, I'm grateful that we continued. I had some some amazing experiences, being able to grow up so in touch and so close to the African nature. Um, definitely, definitely has, has has played a large role in forming who I am today. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, no, no problem. From from the outside, it 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 feels like a very. Um, like a tumultuous experience like mm. it's very like i mean I'm, I'm just like reflecting from my experience here in the u.s and what's going on and so totally man like that's totally. my perspective and it's yeah. it's interesting to hear from my uh from your perspective what it was like growing up and experiencing um the the racial tension that existed in zimbabwe where you were definitely definitely there there always was i mean in my, as I said, in my generation, you know, I slept, I slept bunk beds with, with black boys, like since, mm. since, since I was five or since I was six. Yeah. Um, so like, and I played and I ate next to, to black guys and I played sports next to them and we learned together. So, yeah. but you could definitely feel the racism trickling down from our parents' generation into our generation. You could see these kids like picking up um, picking up uh, things that their parents would say, and then they would really believe them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was definitely been a, a turbulent time growing up through Zimbabwe. But you know, as my mom likes to say, it's it's agony and it's ecstasy. You know, all at the same time. It's just that push and pull that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, the Zimbabwean people are happy, man. They're they're really generally positive people. Kind of like look on the bright side. But they've been through shit, man. Like right, 95% right. unemployment rate, police brutality like you have never seen before. Mm. I mean, it's 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 really, really, really bad. Um, yeah. And the world kind of like turns a blind eye to it, you know, kind of forget about what has happened in Zimbabwe. Um, yeah, I think it's easy for people that live in first world countries, especially to turn a blind eye to everybody. I mean, especially like the media doesn't cover totally um, anything <laughs> basically yeah. that doesn't affect them. So yeah. and there's, there's so much going on in uh, everywhere around the world that people don't really know about, um, let alone, you know, care about. Um, you mentioned that you grew up and you were fairly insecure as a kid. And I think 
I think anyone that knows you probably knows that you're very you're a very confident person. Right. So that's that's really interesting for me to hear. I just figured like you you were confident your whole life. <laughs> no man. Uh, what what uh, changed? Like what happened? Okay, so, so so many of these like gradual transitions from my yeah. polar opposites that I've experienced in my life. Um, yeah, so so I I was a, sh- a shy, insecure kid. Um, I was like average height. I was I was quite stocky, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a little bit weird, you know. I was drawing quite a lot. Um, but I went off to boarding school and then, you know, imagine being an insecure kid going to boarding school at five years old and there are all these like crazy fucking kids running around screaming because they're happy that they have these new friends and like they're on this new adventure and I get there, I don't know anybody and I'm like, fuck, I made the wrong choice. And I honestly <laughs> thought, I honestly thought my parents were going to come back and like say, okay, no, 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 it's just a joke. We're going to take you back home now. Right. We had traveled like two hours to get there by car. <laughs> my parents had bought me my uniform and they bought me my bed. And like, I was all of a sudden like alone, man. Yeah. Um, sleeping next to this random dude. Uh, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, so, I, so and thus, I've begun my, my schooling life. Um, so we, we would stay there for two weeks and go home for the weekend. And stay there for two weeks and go home for the weekend. And, uh, yeah, learning to read and write, all of that shit, you know, everybody's insecure with that, like, well, what the fuck is all of this crazy hieroglyphic gibberish? Yeah. Um, but slowly you learn, and you, as you start to learn, you gather more interest. You know, Zimbabwe is a, is a country that is really focused on sport. So if you went to school, you had to play a sport in the afternoon. You would do school mm. um, from nine until one. Uh, classes and then then you would have lunch okay let me tell you my the routine okay so every morning we would wake up at 6 a.m the the dormitory matron would come on and clap her hands and we were required to get into our swimming costumes run down to the swimming pool swim a length of the pool come back put on your clothes and get ready for inspection and uh uh, so we would have to do that. I mean, it's six in the morning, man. It's bloody cold. And this is the way yeah. for them to like jolt us, electrify us to, uh, away. <laughs> right. Um, so we had to stand in a line, perfectly silent, and the dormitory matron would come in and expect the way that we folded our clothes in our lockers, the way that we've made our bed, the way that we dressed, like uh, we're untidy in any sort of way, the way we brushed our hair. And once everybody has been checked off, then we can go and uh, have like a, a cup of cocoa, right? A cup of hot chocolate. And then then you have to do homework, which is which is about 45 minutes in the morning before breakfast, 45, I think it was an hour. So you do your homework in the morning, then you would go have breakfast and it was in this massive fucking Harry Potter hall, you know, where they, where it was kind of looked like that with these mahogany walls going, stretching up super high and these long tables where the whole school ate together. Right. Um, and uh, after breakfast, we would do classes, as I said, you know, um, from nine till about one. And then we would have lunch. And sometimes we'd have afternoon classes for an hour or so, but then from three until about 5.36, every, everybody in the school has to play a sport. So uh, from a very young age, 
you know, we were exposed to, you know, teamwork uh, and working together. Um, and the sporting was that that played a huge role in the sports, right? Yeah. So I started to play rugby um, from a very young age. And, um, and as I, as I, as we were required to play sports, I, I uh, got much, I got better and better. I, I began to grow a little bit bigger and, um, slowly but surely I began to like experience, like, uh, find who I was, um, find my character, find my per- persona or who I, who I want to be and what do, what are my interests. And um, slowly started to gain more respect and more confidence, but it was very, very gradual in junior school. And then I went all the way through into high school, another boarding school, a whole different story. It was in this castle. Um, and, uh, and their sport was a big part of it as well. So uh, up until I was 16, um, no, 15, I had this massive growth spurt. I went from the age of, uh, I went from like average height to, you know, six foot in like mm-hmm. a year. Um, so I was like really, really stretched. I was really, really painful. But all of a sudden that gave me a whole other advantage in sports. Right. And, and uh, all of a sudden I, 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 play, I could, I, I could do, do things that I couldn't before. I could run faster. Um, and with that, you know, the coach was like, okay, we're going to train you. And with that, I, because I, I got better in sports, I like really filled out and I started to play water polo for, for Zimbabwe, um, playing in the first teams uh, for rugby. And that's like a really big deal. In, in oh, Zimbabwe. wow. In Zimbabwe, it's like apparently it's, it's, it's a really big deal to go down and watch, you know, the first team high school games. It's yeah. really quite a spectacle. And, you know, you have thousands of people coming to watch this. Right. Um, because other than that, there's not really much else to do. And when you play for those teams, I mean, it's really epic. You're playing rugby, like quite a quite a violent sport, with yeah. five thousand people watching, and your entire school of like a thousand people like screaming war cries, uh, all in right, uniform right. and like screaming your name. It's really really intense. So with that build built the confidence, and then mm. uh, with that, you know, I, I grew another f- five inches um, and. Yeah, I think that's really where that shift happened. But yeah, for all I was I was really a shy, insecure child. Yeah, yeah, man. Sport, I think sport can do such amazing things for people. It definitely, it just gives you yeah. like, even if you're not that great, it gives you like this level of confidence, um, and that builds, and you know, it be, you kind of become what you become after, which is right. Yeah, pretty insane. Um, the one moment that I remember, like one memory I have of you is we were in San Francisco at a club and uh, there's a point to this, but uh, you were, you you know, I was whatever. I, I was just kind of moving around, dancing on the dance floor. And then I see you and you, you turn around and you like see me. Yeah. And you grab me yeah. and you like hold me up. <laughs> you like basically Were you with Drew? Was that up. a 1015 Folsom? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. With Drew? Like Were you with Drew? I believe. Yeah, 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 dude. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and I remember it was just like I it was cuz you know in our in our normal interactions you were fairly stoic. I mean, it was funny, right? Yeah. And you you had this um 
but you had this thing about you that you were well put together. Yeah. And I saw this like free side of you. Um, and it gave me this different perspective, you know, like it was like, you were a wild man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was cool. There's something like to moving the body to dancing, uh, unapologetically. That's very freeing. Don't get me started, man. Like, honestly, (laughs) it's, it's, it's my, my form of a release of fun of like pure, like enjoyment. Um, and when you, you have some moments where you're, where you're dancing on the dance floor and like kind of like everything else like fades away and you can feel the music through your body. Um, I, it's, I, I don't know. Those have been some of the most enjoyable experiences of my life. I've been yeah. moments just like lost in the music and in myself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, think, I think it's interesting. I, uh, I think a lot of people have like an insecurity about moving their body in public. Yeah. Know? Yeah, um, sure. but the way you describe it, it, it's like music moving through your body. I had a similar phrase that I use. It was like letting the music move you. Like mm, nice, yeah, yeah. Kind of like push you, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're yeah. you're not you're not trying to get you're not trying to like be rhythm like you're not trying to be on beat with the music. You're trying to just let the music just be like, what, what am I, what is my exactly. body doing? You know what exactly. I mean? Let just kind of letting it go. Just saying like, yeah. right, give it to me. Let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. There's definitely a freedom to that, that, um, I actually recently, I just, I wanted to kind of explore that more, just learn dance and see, like learn how to move my body, you know? Yeah. One thing that just came to mind, we, we had a brief conversation about meditation. Oh yeah. Uh, before, yeah. like through text. Yeah. And I'm you, you said that you had recently like within the last couple of years uh you had recently like started meditating and you know I see the meditation expressing itself through you know do you doing ceramics and the DJing and embracing that but I wonder if um if your meditation practice if you've if you've either learned anything from it like anything else from it or uh, you know what impact it's had on you uh, well, since you started it okay so I'll, I'll take you i'll take you a little bit through my you know my my journey of you know discovering spirituality um and then like kind of embodying it and then like living living it yeah um so uh it all started when i got back to Amsterdam after, after living in Munich. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had this new freelancing business that I'm supposedly running. I had to like Google how to fucking write invoices and like what are taxes <laughs> and what is VAT? Holy shit. Am I really, really fucking doing this? But, uh, yeah, I mean, the best way to learn is to fucking jump in the deep end, right? Yeah. Um, but so I got my first project. This guy's hit me up because I posted my one of my projects on Behance. And he's like, yo, I'm in Amsterdam. I have a project for you. And um, I'm not going to go into details about what that is. But it was my first project working on my own, an industrial design project. I was designing. It was essentially a stupid thing. It was essentially like a like a device that you can put your phone or your laptop in that had these legs that could like bend around you so you could lie in bed and watch uh, watch your phone or watch your iPad hands-free, right? One of these devices. Right. 
And um, so I had to make the Apple version of that, is what they asked me to do. Mm. So, so I went through the whole industrial design process. And you know that process is tough. Yeah. Um, and to do it on your own without any feedback, like like saying, okay, you know, am I going in the right direction? Am I taking the right uh, lane, you know, uh, in, in this process? Uh, you just kind of got to trust your intuition and just speak to your clients about what they think and do as much research as you can. But this project, man, it was killing me. I could not switch it off in my head. It was just nonstop. I was just like designing. I was working until like four in the morning trying to figure out solutions of how to make this thing collapsible and easily storable. Um, and I would wake up in the morning realize, realizing that I was dreaming about dreaming about it i mean like yeah. that's really not healthy man yeah so um but every night i, I was struggling to get to sleep it was like 4 a.m like i have to get to sleep i have to present tomorrow but i lie in bed just thinking about like designing this thing i couldn't couldn't sleep so i googled how to fall asleep when your mind is mentally active and mm. guided sleep meditation came up and you know, before yeah. then, I'd heard of the term meditation and uh, like thoughts about okay, clearing your mind, you know, sitting down, being calm, and you know, just taking a moment for yourself, right? Sure, that's great, but I had no idea about like the whole world behind um, spiritual philosophy, right? Um, so this is my introduction to it. So I put on the guided the headphones. This is this guy with this very soft, gentle voice, kind of. Uh, guided me to sleep within 15 minutes it was unbelievable it's like okay 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 uh, and I uh, so the next night um, at it again I fell asleep and the next night I was like mm, third night uh, I decided to listen to it for longer and I could really feel like this vibration in my body and this like really uh, interesting sense of euphoria that I had totally unexpected mm. you know and i was like whoa this feels really good you know yeah. um so but then i fell asleep and then then i was like hey what was that last night right and, I, and then i just dived into research like countless youtube videos countless articles and like opinions and this whole world unraveled and i learned all about the practice of meditating uh, so i thought okay let me let me start doing this daily because people are saying the amazing things that people have been doing for you know millennia um and i was practicing and practicing and i got to a point whereby i was meditating every day twice a day for uh you know sometimes an hour hour two hours sometimes I became so addicted to it because it was such an amazing new feeling that I discovered. Uh, and it was a completely new way of thinking that I discovered. You know, uh, I, must, I must say I, I had been quite ignorant up to that point. But, you know, the whole concept of ego, like I, I understand, uh, like I understood, like, yeah, sure, we all have egos, right? But I never really grasped the weight of what that means, you know, that that we all have these separate egos, how we are with different people, it changes all the time. We're essentially we're being different personalities with different people. You just watch yourself change, mm. right? 
um, like, say, how I behave with my girlfriend is different from how I behave, you know, with, with my best friend or my mother or my grandmother. You know, there are all these different versions of you coming out, but what remains constant, right? So all of a sudden, I was, I was been, I had been exposed to these ideas, and I was like, holy shit, all right, <laughs> I've been living like a lie my whole life, all right, okay. <laughs> it all makes sense. It all makes sense, man. Yeah. Um, and I was like, holy shit, I was constantly trying to be somebody, you know, the whole mm. time, like trying to like mm. create this perfect version of yourself. And I think that's what you experienced in San Francisco, man. Like me trying yeah. to craft the perfect version of myself, but in like right. a superficial kind of way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since I got to Amsterdam, since I learned about meditation and all of these philosophies, I've kind of like completely dropped that and really like sunk into myself. You know, all the yeah. masks are sort of like coming coming off. I still have them, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but I'm learning that I don't identify with them. I don't identify with these 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 emotions, these thoughts, these feelings. I really just try to remain neutral. Uh, it's just observing them. Um, so I, I was practicing this uh, every day, meditation every day for a while. And I, I, I tell you, man, I, I think I did that for a couple months. And I was completely addicted to it. The first thing I would do when I wake up is meditate. And then in the afternoon, I would do a meditation. And I would walk around feeling high. Like, I was, like it's weird. It's really, really weird. I, I felt like really different. And the the connections that I was making people, like the eye eye contact, uh, just walking past people in the street. I mean, you, you could notice there was a different way that I was engaging with people, yeah. um, and that was that was bizarre to me. It was, it was really really bizarre. And I, I listened to countless Alan Watts lectures. Um, uh, and read all sorts of, of, of work by him. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden I went from being like this like devout atheist uh, to kind of like believing in some sort of way, way of life as, as, as an ultimate God, let's say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, so, so I discovered meditation. Um, and it, it helped me in, in, in amazing ways. I really, uh, my, my mother had been practicing meditation her whole life, but she never wanted to force it on me. Mm. So uh, she, she was waiting for me to essentially discover it on my own. And once I had discovered this, I, I, mean, I explained to her all of these insights that I was having, these realizations that I was having. And... It was it was like coming home for her, you know. It was like her voice, like coming home, like she he gets it, you know. He yeah, understands. yeah. Um, and uh, we connected on like a super super deep level uh, after that. Um, and yeah, to to this day, you know, uh, it's uh, I find it hard to keep up that same routine. So I don't meditate every day anymore. I meditate every now and then. Um, let's say I should do it more. I've just I'm just out of practice, and for the life of me, I can't understand why 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 don't I do that? I put alarms on my phone to meditate, um, uh, but a lot of the times I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get to it, but you know, I, ne I never do. So 
I'm trying to figure out ways to to form better habits, and that's why I asked you for your for your little guide. So I downloaded that, but oh. I, I I still need to um, I still need to get my ass to off the table and use it. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I I think like you know I have the same as you. I I meditate. I've been meditating for probably ten years or so, um, on and off, and there's like this. I think it goes back to this, the, the, the ambitious side of us, you know, like we think that this practice does is so beneficial to us and yet we don't do it. And then we think, well, we have to get into this practice. We have to do it every day, you know, and we put this kind of almost unnecessary pressure on ourselves to do it. But sometimes you just need to forgive yourself. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah. Yeah, cool. I I did it today, and I might not do it tomorrow, and that's cool. Right. Um, right. I think that's like a, there's like this, there's like this ambitious spirituality almost. Right. Um, right. That I have for sure. You know what I mean? Like I I I guilt trip myself. I I say you need to do this. You know, I had. The, I mean, I gave you the chart, the hundred days or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I think once it becomes this thing that you you start feeling like you have to do. Maybe maybe it is time to just take a break a little bit. And, I mean, you you have these other practices that where it's like practicing presence almost, right? Like you're totally. you're DJing. You're you're maybe that's what the meditation has become for you. Possibly, possibly, yeah, and you know, possibly. I, that's okay too, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm open to I'm open to to that idea yeah. of that becoming my meditation practice. But I think just in general. It, um, I want to, I'm trying to be more mindful, you know, and do you, do you understand like the difference between mindfulness and meditation? I, well, maybe you should explain. I understand it as like just being very present where you are, being aware of everything that's going on. So you can eat and be mindful of the food that you're eating and how it's affecting you. Exactly. Okay. So, so they, they are essentially the same thing, right? They're the same states of mind except meditation is a kind of attainment of a one-pointedness right Right. when you sit down and meditate you're kind of like focusing on one thing at a time and being aware that you're focusing on that one thing for extended periods of time and by doing that you undergo uh, altered shifted states of like consciousness right right Um, whereas mindfulness Mindfulness is, it doesn't have that same sort of one-pointedness. It's more of like a, more of just like a general awareness of mm. the phenomenon that is happening both inside and outside of your body in real time, right? Right. Not necessarily trying to zero in on something, just kind of like uh, letting, letting the water kind of, letting experience kind of flow and being totally aware of that for extended periods of time. Right. right. So you can go, you can, you, you can be, me- so you can be meditating whilst uh, preparing a meal, for instance, like a lot of the time we're preparing a meal where we're just chopping and thinking about what we need to do tomorrow, you know, missed texts that I need to get back to or, um, or memories of things that have happened in the past or planning for things to do in the future. But, but you can cook more mindfully Right, so when you're chopping the onion, you're you're aware of the the textures and the sounds that are happening, and 
that it is happening in that moment. You're aware of the lighting, you're aware of the sound that you hear behind you. You're, you're, you're just um, awake. You're, you're mm -hmm. noticing it and you're uh, experiencing it without judgment, without analysis, just pure experience. Right. Um, so, so that is a form of meditation that you can just do whilst you're living your life. And even if you just do it for short bursts throughout your day, it can have such a, a positive impact on, on your, your mental state yeah. and your well-being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so, meditation is so interesting. There's so many facets of it. Like we talked about the, uh, the headless way. Mm, yeah and douglas, that was douglas harding having no head yeah 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 having no head yeah, yeah. um yeah. it's like this i describe it as like there's a there's like a logical knowledge like you you know certain things and then there's like an experiential knowledge like you you feel it right, right. you can say right. like i know that people fall in love and they mate and then they produce <laughs> offspring Right. But until you experience love itself, you don't really know what that's totally. like. Yeah, yeah, it's constant um, and experiential. Yeah, and so like I think medita meditation is almost like this way of you unlearning and 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 relearning how to experience life as you actually experience it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Which exactly. is a trip. <laughs> Tell me, man. Tell you, man. It's like rebirth. Honestly. It's yeah. Weird uh yeah it's like it's like a small a small awakening i don't know yeah and, and sure. you can have those micro awakenings throughout your day right when you when you realize that you've been lost in thought you're like oh shit i was either lost in the past or i was thinking about the future oh well where am i you're like you're here you're present you, you you're breathing your blood is pumping all this shit goes on without you even knowing it so yeah. give it give it a little bit of time of day, right? These these vital elements to your survival, to 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 your own awareness. Give those those parts of you your awareness. Yeah, absolutely, them, you know? absolutely. And and I think that like just being able to do that, like pause and like notice these things, it, it makes it makes way for gratitude. Like you become grateful for certain things. Like oh yeah, my blood is flowing. I'm I'm breathing. Yeah. Like, autonomously yeah um and that that then leads you know to more gratitude and more um presence and more happiness so exactly yeah it's like a gateway drug <laughs> <laughs> the best kind yeah for sure yeah. nice cool man all right so last question is we as humans put up statues of people not because we love those people but because we love what those people represent when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you or something that represents you, what would you want that statue to be and what would you want it to represent? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, what would I want that statue to be? I think, I think just a statue of me, mate, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I, I, a statue of me, happy, uh, is good for me with a big smile on my face. I, yeah. I, 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 that would make me happy to know that. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think that's really, it's, 
I think that's that's an interesting thing and, and something that I've thought about in the past. Um, you know, this idea of immortalizing something in stone or mm -hmm. in something solid like like concrete. Um, that stuff is going to last forever, you know. So what what can you make that you want to last forever, that that, that you want to be discovered in the future? Um, I don't know. I think I, I, I can't think of any specific thing that represents me that could be immortalized in a sculpture other than just just me being happy and like trying to enjoy it, you know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.